You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. All right, we've got uh, Doug and Greg Stokes, uh, Lanyap Podcast, Stokes Family Office, and we got a special guest this week. Uh, longtime client of the firm and, and good friend, Steve Lane. Steve's an attorney here in New Orleans, uh, but also is such an interesting person. He recently wrote a book, A Life in Memorabilia, uh, Mickey Mantle, basically a, a chronology of Mickey's life and, and Steve's collection of Mickey Mantle memorabilia and Yankee memorabilia in general. Steve, uh, Thanks for joining. First, I would, I would just love to just to give some background here about your life growing up uh, as a Yankee fan in Brooklyn and uh, and you know what brought you to New Orleans and number one and number two, what brought you into the world of collectibles? Sure. First, uh, Doug and Greg, thank you for inviting me on to the show. I've been interviewed several times on my book, but uh, never by... Uh, investment people such as your yourselves. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting that you asked me on because really sports cards and memorabilia are now have now become a legitimate investment vehicle uh, for individuals. It's, it's, it's kind of like the art uh, uh, of the 21st century. And I got started very innocently. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, uh, New York. And uh, in 1955, and when I was six years old in 1961, uh, up until that time, there had been three baseball teams in New York since the 1880s. You had the New York Giants, the Brooklyn Dodgers, and then later on the New York Yankees. So there were always three teams. Well, in the late 50s, the Giants moved to San Francisco the Dodgers moved to Los Angeles. So there was only one team left in New York in 1961 when my dad started me out watching baseball games. It was the Yankees. They were the best team in baseball. Mickey Mantle, for those uh, out there who might not be familiar with him, was the best player in baseball at the time uh, on the best team that always seemed to win the championship. So I gravitated to the Yankees and to Mickey Mantle. And that's when I started collecting baseball cards and memorabilia. I've been doing it for the last uh, 60 plus years. Can you give us maybe an idea of what your first uh, item was that you collected and and just uh, the scope of your collection now? Well, at that age, you know, when I was six years old, 10 years old, whatever, what we used to do uh, in Brooklyn and elsewhere in New York is you'd get out of school or you'd have your lunch break. You'd go over to the local candy store or delicatessen with your nickel, your dime, your quarter, whatever, and buy a pack of baseball cards. And, you know, me personally, I was hoping to get Yankees and Mickey Mantle. And what happened was in 1961, I got my first Mickey Mantle card, probably cost me a nickel. And that card today is probably worth several thousand dollars. Now, at the time, of course, when you're a little kid, you're not thinking about investing or collecting. You just want the cards or whatever. But over time, as I had more and more disposable income, that's what caused me 
to get more and more items to the point that I was able to trace Mantle's life. But the first thing that I ever got uh, related to Mickey Mantle was his 1961 baseball card. We're both big Yankees um, fans and baseball fans in general. Um, but for those of um, the, those of our listeners who are not baseball fans, can you describe who, who Mickey Mantle was um, and why he's such a uh, important figure in baseball history? Sure. Uh, uh, I mean, Mickey Mantle is just the classic American success story. Uh, someone who started from nothing. He was born in Oklahoma. His father was a lead miner. They didn't have any money. But the one thing that his father did do every single day uh, was to teach Mickey Mantle how to play baseball and, more importantly, how to hit a baseball batting left-handed and right-handed, which people just didn't do at that time. His father predicted that at some point in time, uh, managers uh, would be playing right-handed batters against left-handed pitchers and left-handed batters against right-handed pitchers. And if and if Mantle was a switch hitter, he, would, he could play every game. And he grew up just a great physical specimen he was in his prime not only the most powerful baseball hitter but the fastest runner uh in baseball and throughout his career he set record after record he hit the longest home runs he hit the most home runs in a world series he was in the 1950s and 60s to baseball what elvis presley was to music what marilyn monroe was to movies. He was just the biggest name. He's he's who everybody wanted to see uh, at a time when there wasn't very much social exposure. There was no social media. They didn't have as many television channels as you have now. You only got to see baseball maybe once or twice on the weekend. And the the player that the that the stations put on TV was always Mickey Mantle and the Yankees. And and he became essentially the icon of the generation that grew up in the 50s and 60s. And those people such as myself, who were teenagers in the 50s and 60s, as they grew up into the 30s, 40s and 50s, almost, for lack of a better term, worship Mantle even more. They would show up and wait online and pay money to get his autograph. You'd have men in their 50s and 60s with tears in their eyes, introducing their little kids to Mickey Mantle and explaining to their kids who Mickey Mantle was and carrying out the tradition. So even to this day, if you ask who is the most valuable asset name-wise in the sports collecting industry, it's not Michael Jordan. It's not Tom Brady. It's not Babe Ruth. It's Mickey Mantle. And I don't see that changing uh, at any time in the near future. And I was just lucky enough that that's who my sports hero was at the time. It was just a matter of luck. What At what point did you decide that you were going to you had an interest in collectibles, but at what point did you decide I'm going to specifically focus on Mantle? Um, and then how did that lead to to writing the book? Well, I always 
focused on Manly. From the time I was six years old, he was my baseball hero. So what I used to do, and, and the story is in my book, when I was a little kid, on Sundays, my grandfather would come to our home with a box of baseball cards. And at that time, a box of baseball cards cost $1. fifty. That same box of baseball cards today would cost $100,000 at least. And what I used to do was there were 24 packs in a box, and each pack had five cards in it. And I'd open each pack, and I'd make three stacks, one that had just Yankees, one that had all the other players, great players, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, Sandy Koufax, you name it, the greatest players of the 50s and 60s were in the other stack. And the third stack was the bubble gum that I chewed while I was opening the packs of cards. And what I used to do was got these cards Sunday night when my grandfather came. On Monday, I'd tell all my friends in school, I lived, we lived in a sixth floor apartment uh, in Brooklyn. I'd tell my friends on Monday, be outside my window because I'm throwing out all my cards that I got last night from my grandfather, except the Yankees. So Willie Mays, Roberto Clemente, Sandy Koufax, you name it. The greatest players of the 50s and 60s went out the window. I probably threw out, I calculated it, probably several hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of cards and just kept the Yankees. And so that's what I've concentrated on the whole time. And as my disposable income grew and as you and your dad made sure that I kept and grew my disposable income. I've used that to buy more expensive things uh, along the way. Um, you know, Mickey Mantle personal glove, uh, uh, very valuable baseballs that he used to own. I've been able to get them from the Mantle family uh, or from people who had gotten it from the Mantle family, all one of a kind museum pieces and some of my items in fact are in the Yankee Museum at Yankee Stadium. They've they've asked to borrow loan things from me from time to time to show the public. Let's let's talk about a couple of those items. Um it, one of them I, I th- I'd like to talk about is uh, the glove um which is and there's a picture online of uh of Aaron Judge actually uh, putting the glove on uh, that you've shown me. And, and another is, uh, uh, I believe it was his last home run ball uh, that you have. Can you tell us just the background of, of those two items? Sure. Well, the, the, f- there are only three known baseball gloves that Mickey Mantle used in the prime of his career that still exist. One is in the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. One a private collector has, and I have the third. And when I say his prime, I'm talking about from 1953 to 1964. And uh, I have a 1963 glove that came right out of I get a phone call from the Yankees. They said, look, Aaron Judge is in our museum. He'd like to hold Mickey Mantle's glove. Do we have your permission to let him hold the glove? And my thought process was, well, 
I got Mickey Mantle's DNA is on the glove and my DNA is on the glove. So Baron Judge has his DNA on the glove. It's not going to reduce the value. So I said, yeah. And they took a picture of it and they uh, posted it in their magazine. And that was the one out of, out of all the things in the museum. One of the things that he wanted to hold and the only glove that he wanted to hold was Mickey Mantle's glove. Uh, in terms of the, the baseball, uh, Mickey Mantle had hit 536 home runs. He retired in 1968. In September 1968, Mickey Mantle was playing in Detroit. It was September. They knew it was going to be his last visit to Detroit because they thought he was going to retire. He had 534 home runs at the time. He was tied for third place with Jimmy Fox behind Willie Mays and Babe Ruth. So he needed one more home run to be in third place. On the mound that day was Denny McLean, who that year won 30 games, and he's the last pitcher to win 30 games. But McLean uh, was uh, a little eccentric, for lack of a better term. And what he did was when Mantle came up for his last at bat, McLean told the catcher to tell Mantle that McLean was going to throw him a fastball, but he wasn't going to try to pinpoint it. He's just going to put it down the middle of the plate to give Mantle a chance to hit a home run. He throws a fastball down the middle. Mantle takes it. He doesn't swing. And McLean looks at him from the pitcher's mound like, hey, you know, why didn't you swing? And Mantle turns to the catcher and says, was he serious? Is he really going to let me hit the ball? Because Mantle just wasn't sure. Because like I said, McLean was a little out there. And he throws him another fastball. And Mantle fouls it off. Then the third pitch he throws, Mantle hits into the seats for his 535th home run to put him in third place. He's running around the bases laughing. McLean is standing on the mound laughing. Mantle comes into the dugout. The next batter was a guy by the name of Joe Pepitone, who just died recently. Pepitone signals to McLean that he he wants the ball right here, and he signals, you know, right in the strike zone. And Pepitone thinks that McLean's just going to throw him a, a home run pitch when McLean goes for his head and knocks him down. Uh, but that's the story of the 535th uh home run ball. And again, it's a unique item. It's one of a kind coming directly from uh, Mantle. Describe to me the, so we're in dollars and cents. What's the most expensive Mickey Mantle uh, memorabilia or card that exists right now? What, what type of ballpark uh, for no pun intended, are we operating in from a collection standpoint? And you mentioned that these things, you, you bought packs of cards that or you paid nothing for that are worth that's worth tens of thousands or over a hundred thousand dollars. What what kind of return has um, has this sort of memorabilia experienced? And is that something that's um, is that something that's new as it relates to COVID? Or when is this really when has this market really started to take off? Well, it started to definitely started to take off since COVID because what happened was when COVID hit and people were stuck in their homes. They couldn't travel. You can't go out to eat. You can't get on a plane. You can't go on vacation. You can't go to a movie. They're not letting people in the ballparks to see football games, baseball games, whatever. People 
rummaged in their attics or in their homes uh, and found cards, or they went back and remembered that they had a collection of cards, started pulling them out, started selling them at baseball card shows or on eBay. And as the value of cards went up, more and more people started to get involved in the hobby. Either they hadn't been in the hobby for a while and got reinvolved, or especially uh, men in their 20s and 30s decided to get involved. As I said, the, the way that they look at it now is these baseball collectibles and cards are essentially the artwork that would sell in a Manhattan auction gallery uh, 10 years ago. And you actually have people buying these cards and hanging them on the wall as if they're art. I mean, just by way of example only, the 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle card, which is a valuable card, number one, because it's Mickey Mantle, number two, because it's scarce. And the reason it's scarce was when it was printed in 1952, it was a high number card. In other words, the cards are numbered from one to 400 at that time. His card was number 311. Well, by the time that card came out on the market in 1952, it was already September, October. People were concentrating on football. They weren't buying baseball cards. So Tops did not sell a lot of 1952 Mantle cards. They kept them in storage at their facility in Brooklyn. In 1960, the gentleman who was running Tops at the time, Cy Berger, decided he couldn't keep all these cards in his warehouse. So he took all these boxes and boxes of cards, including all the 1952 cards, put them on a boat, and dumped them in the East River off of Manhattan. Probably millions of dollars of cards. Well, that's what made the Mantle cards so scarce. So in 2006, the Mantle card was worth about $280,000. In 2018, that same card sold for $2.8 million. Uh, last year, a Mickey Mantle with a grade of 9.5 out of 10 sold for $12.6 million. That same card or other cards, there are a couple of Mickey Mantle cards, not from 1952, graded at 10. They will go for $30 or $40 million or more. Uh, one of the owners of one of those cards is in his 80s. Sooner or later, he's going to have to to sell it. Uh, it will go for 20, 30, 40 uh, million dollars or more. And it's same with other stars as well. It's not just Mantle. Uh, Babe Ruth cards, uh, Honus Wagner cards, all the Hall of Fame greats, their cards are going up in value. In fact, there was a study done uh during the last three market crashes, uh, baseball cards grew in a positive way. And even with inflation now, over the last year or so, baseball card values have grown to by about 95%. Uh, percent. In the last five years, the value of cards have grown at 200% and have outperformed stocks, bonds, uh, and gold. In the last two years, there have been at least 20 cards that have sold 
for in excess of a million dollars. I mean, the reason that there's been a boom in such a, a down economy is the the cards and memorabilia are liquid. People want to have an actual tangible asset that they can hold as opposed to, you know, a, a stock or a bond. Uh, with the lockdown, people out of boredom went through their collections and realized what they were worth and either sold collections or started buying more cards. Uh, cards, memorabilia, uh, it's, it's a little simpler to some people than understanding uh, the stock market, and it's easier to figure out uh, the value. And then, of course, you also have the emotional attachment. I mean, people get emotionally attached to baseball cards or memorabilia. They don't have that same attachment to a McDonald's stock or, you know, whatever the stock is. So that that's why cards have gone up, notwithstanding what problems the economy may be having otherwise. What what about the theory that at least my personal theory on this is just is demographically driven as the baby boomer generation who you know this really originated with especially if if you talk about these older cards Mantle specifically in that generation um, as you know, people like yourself that become more wealthy with age and have invested over a long period of time want that sort of nostalgic. Uh, experience along with what they're doing investment wise go to you know the the cards of their youth is there some uh is it is that does that theory hold at all that this is just potentially just a, a generation of people that have accumulated wealth that wants some sort of nostalgic experience with where they're placing their capital well that's part of it i mean certainly that's uh my personal case and and People in my age group, I think, uh, to a great extent, yeah, they have accumulated wealth, they have disposable uh, income, and they have the ability to invest in sports cards or sports memorabilia. At the same time, if you go to the National Sports Collectible Convention this year in Chicago, there will be 100,000 people there, and at least 50% of them will be 45 and under. And they are collecting cards of today's stars, uh, LeBron James, Zion Williamson, um, you know, baseball, football, whatever. They're, I don't know if the word is investing or speculating, but they are putting money into this hobby, buying cards at what they feel is a value that is at its low point or that the value will increase. No different than people who invest in the stock market. Uh, and just like stocks go up and down and, you know, when, when the stock market goes down, you buy more stock. Well, people are looking to see if any card Values go down for any particular players who they think are going to go up at a later date, and they're buying what they think is at the low end of the market, hoping it goes up. That's certainly the case with someone like Zion Williamson, whose cards at one point, for some of them were selling for $10,000. Now he hasn't played for a while. Don't know when he's going to play again, 
that value is going to go down for some period of time. And somebody is going to either invest or speculate uh, and buy Zion Williamson cards, hoping that he comes back from his injury and, you know, is successful. And then the value will shoot up again. So, yeah, it's a combination of people that, that do it for the nostalgic reason. There are also people that do it for long-term investment purposes, and there are also people who do it for the short-term speculation. Our uh, our our brother is actually a basketball card collector, and he's and I've seen his collection. But uh, I think you're you're describing in when you're talking about the forty-five and under crowd, um, and he's specifically focused on basketball. But there, Tops has done a great job of actually creating collections that are. Um, scarce in in and of themselves there's going to be you know one of five or one of ten of these particular cards for this particular player and you know the idea is to be able to collect the entire set of players for those for that that series and so um yeah there's a there's a scarcity component and then there's a you know trying to buy value for for the example of zion that you know he, he becomes a generational player and i guess there's it's almost like it's like wine too, right? If you're buying like a great producer and a great vintage and it's going to get drunk over time, so there'll be less bottles available. It's the, the value of the bottle that you're holding so long as it's, um, you know, kept, you know, stored correctly. I guess that's a grade for, from a card perspective, uh, becomes more valuable. That's a, it seems like a similar sort of, uh, framework for investing. What we talked about previously, this whole, uh, discussion about baseball cards and gloves and balls, et cetera. Those are some major categories that you see all the time from a collection standpoint. Tell me about some other things that collectors trade specifically as it relates to Mantle and talk to me, talk to us about some of the items that you've accumulated over the years and some things that are a little odd or, or, or otherwise some things that people wouldn't think about from a that would be a marketable collectible. Well, in terms of something that 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 Doug had mentioned a few minutes ago, what, what the card companies are doing now is basically creating scarcity. Like they'll make a card that has a little piece of the player's bat or a little piece of the player's jersey. Or, or will have the player's autograph on it. And like Doug said, it, they'll make it, you know, one of one or one of 10 or whatever. Um, one of the unique items that I have, which is a one of one, is a card autographed by Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Mickey Mantle, and Roger Maris. Because at the time the card was made, you know, Ruth had hit the 60 home runs in a season, which was a record, and Gehrig was his teammate. And combined, they had the record for most home runs in a season. And then Mantle and Maris broke that. Uh, and now Aaron Judge has broken Maris's record. But still, to have Ruth, Gehrig, Mantle, and Maris signatures on one card is almost impossible. Uh you know, so that's uh, one item. And of course, you got people out there. Some people collect just jerseys. Some collect uh, bats, game-used bats. Uh, th there's one bat that I have, 
that's pretty unique. Uh, somebody who, who knew me uh, came to me and said, look, I, I have someone who's looking to sell Mickey Mantle's 1962 All-Star bat that he used in the 1962 All-Star game. Uh, Louisville Slugger makes two bats for each player just to use in the All-Star game, and those are very rare. And I, I asked him, well, how much is it? And he gave me a price, and I said, man, that's a, that's a little high. I, I don't know if I want to pay that much for this bat. And the guy says to me, well, what if I have you take the bat directly from the owner of the bat? He'll hand you the bat, and he'll take a picture with you. And I said, well, why would I care who the owner of the bat is? And he goes, well, the owner of the bat is Reggie Jackson. And so I said, oh, well, will that be cash or credit card? And so he uh, got Reggie Jackson to meet me, to hand me the bat, to take a picture of me with the bat. And I sent him the photograph. He signed it for me, sent me a very nice letter on his Mr. October stationery confirming that he'd gotten the bat from Mantle and now he was uh, giving it to me. So that was a pretty unique uh, collectible. Steve, I want to, we're going to wrap up here in a couple of minutes, but you have such a unique story. Not only are you a huge uh, Mantle fan, but you're also a huge Sopranos fan. And, and I want to, uh, hear your story about how you uh, you were one of the Sopranos super fans that got onto the Sopranos podcast out of I don't know how many thousands of submissions and and what the story is there and and then we can wrap up but that's something I just don't want to miss. Sure. Uh, now before I do that, can I plug my book and tell people where to buy it? Absolutely. They can they can go to there's two ways you get it. Go to the MickeyMantle.com, all one word. Or if you go to the Hall of Fame website in Cooperstown, uh, they're selling my book as well. So me and Mickey Mantle are, are together in the Hall of Fame for different reasons. With regard to The Sopranos, during the, the lockdown, uh, there was a show called Talking Sopranos. It was a podcast, and there were literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people watching this podcast. And what it was, was every week they would discuss another episode of The Sopranos, starting from the very first episode to the very last episode. And it was two of the stars of The Sopranos, uh, uh, Steve Sharippa, uh, who, play, if, if anybody's familiar with The Sopranos, he played... Uh, Bobby Bacala, and um, the 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 gentleman that played uh, Chris Moltisanti, Tony Soprano's Imperioli. Uh, nephew, yeah, Eth, uh, Michael Imperioli. I'm sorry, yeah, he was the other host, and they had a contest, and the contest was you had to tell them why you should be considered to be a Sopranos super fan and if they chose you they would have a special episode where you would be on the show with them and they literally received uh hundreds of thousands of entries 
from all around the world. I mean, not just the United States, all around the world. And I sent in an entry and explained, you know, why I should be on it. And I'm not going to go through the the whole thing, but basically my connection uh, to Brooklyn and the fact that for 42 years, uh, I practiced as a quote unquote cutthroat divorce lawyer and was probably as tough on my opponents as Tony Soprano was. And they picked five people. And to my shock and surprise, I was one of them. And they had me on the show. And we talked about my, you know, love of the Sopranos and everything that I knew about the Sopranos. It was, it was kind of uh, amazing. And uh, to this day, people who I know will come across that YouTube podcast and, uh, you know, tell me that they've watched The Sopranos a hundred times and they still watch it and it's still a favorite show. And they want, they, they will ask me whether or not I found out from Sharippa and Imperioli whether or not Tony Soprano was killed in the last episode or not. And I tell them, they've told me what they think, but it's no different than what anybody else thinks. Right, exactly. Well, this was great, Steve. And and again, the, the book is themickeymantle.com. You can go buy it. And, and where do the proceeds go? Oh, yeah. All the proceeds. When I did this book, I, I number one, I would only do it if the Mantle family approved of it. And they did. Uh, and I also made sure that I sent a copy to Bob Costas, the announcer, who's a huge Mantle fan. I wanted his approval. And he did. And I promised the Mantle family that any profits from the book would go to a Mantle family designated charity. So if I make a profit off this book, <laughs> it will go to whatever charity the Mantle family designates. That's great. And if you look at the book, you can look through uh, Steve's collection. It's pretty extensive, uh, a lot of Yankee and, and Mickey uh, memorabilia. And it's uh, an amazing story and a lifetime of, of collection that started as a hobby and actually ended up as a legitimate piece of an asset uh, an asset class in a, a, a portfolio and, and a legitimate one at that. So, Steve, thank you so much for joining, um, and we'll uh, we'll have this out in in a week. But if you if you like it, please share with your friends, and uh, give us a five star review and make a comment, and uh, and we'll uh, have a guests on in the future. But this was a really special one to have this time. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, 
Consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.